When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. This story was performed by Radcliffe Royd. My story starts, ah, God. I'm late summer, year 2000, and I don't know about anyone else. I'm not brilliant at dealing with pain, emotional pain. Uh, physical pain, any pain. Uh, I don't do hurt very well. I, actually, I hurt very easily. Um, but I, I got a kick in the guts. And Sunday night, I remember the time, and I went home to my lovely wife uh, of the time. She was my second ex-wife, pending, as it turned out. <laughs> I have had several wives, two of whom were my own, in fact. Um, but, and I put my key, I may not be alone with this, I put my key in the lock, and the lock didn't turn. Uh, oh, I tried it to the left, I tried it to the right. And so for the second time, I found myself on my knees to this woman. Only the second time, I was speaking through the letterbox, pleading, <laughs> with reason, as one does. Um, that was when I realised that my second marriage was over. Most guys seem to be able to deal with this stuff really easily. I, I hadn't ever had a second marriage going wrong, so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the rules were. And I did that guy thing, and I rang up one of my pals. Hey, Will, what are you up to? Hey, man, it's awful. Come on round, and, you know, we're having a great party, and what are you up to? And I said, oh, I, uh, I need to come and stay. I need to crash. And uh, he said, come, just come. So I did. And he met me at the door, and I sort of interrupted him with his friend. And I said, look, I'm really sorry to be here, but it's all gone pear-shaped at home. I don't know what's going on. And, and he sort of just turned to me with that lovely smile that only a friend can do and said, come on in, I think I can help, and produced a tray of, uh, well, pharmaceuticals. And um, <laughs> this tray of pharmaceuticals, suddenly everything seemed a lot better. I was footloose, fancy-free, single, and uh, he had uh, access to a lot of pharmaceuticals, and I had very little uh, access to the stop button. Um, so I had been living in a rather nice four-bedroom house in Clapham. Um, I was now living in a one-bedroom grunge pit in Notting Hill. Um, he got fed up with me very quickly. Um, my appetite for pharmaceuticals was greater than his. Um, 
and certainly uh, when I discovered that my bank cards had been stopped and that my whole world had crumbled in, my world started to shrink really rapidly. Um, I had luckily still had a car, um, but after I moved out of his apartment, I was now living in the car, um, which didn't have any flushing facilities. I hadn't yet met a car that did. Um, and the pharmaceuticals, by now I'd hooked up and met most of the people that supplied his pharmaceuticals. They were now supplying me. And uh, they thought it was Christmas. Um, every day I was on... And I started to realise I had no money. I was this sort of emotional wreck as soon as I stopped. And I just got lost. I went mad. I can, it's the only way I can describe it. And if you are sort of middle-aged and you don't have any friends that do lots of heavy-duty drugs, you tend to hang out with people that do. And the chap that I hung out with was a guy called Delroy. We love Delroy. Bless him. He had a spiderweb tattoo across half his face. <laughs> And beer mat trousers. Um, he, um, he taught me many skills, uh, most of which was how to support a drug habit in London uh, in, in the 20th or 21st century, which was by stealing meat out of Sainsbury's. Um, why Sainsbury's in particular, I don't know. It just... <laughs> it was a cultural thing. I, from my background, it should have been M&S, but um, I, didn't to, I didn't know how to get there. Uh, so... He taught me, and I was just lunatic. And I would walk in there, overly confident. That, again, was the pharmaceuticals. And I'd march in, and I'd fill up the shopping bags f full of meat, steaks, chicken wings, whatever it was. I'd march up to the security guard. I say, my good man, could you tell me where the car park is? A and he would, and I'd just march out. And we never got stopped, we never got caught, and we had a funny little lady who would buy it for 50p in the pound and sell it to the Harry Krishnas, who would then distribute it to the poor. So, actually... <laughs> I'm glad you're with me. No, that's good. But it was a fairly budget existence, and the car then got sold. I couldn't afford the petrol. I couldn't afford the parking tickets. And do you know what? I just wanted to get high, and it was just a hassle, and the dealer said he wanted it. So I swapped it. I was quite short-termist in my thinking. And I ended up in the West End of London one evening thinking, well, shit, I've got nowhere to go. Now, Delroy... God bless him. I couldn't understand. The thing about Delroy now is every time we walked into a shop after a while, we kind of got into a habit, not only a drug habit, but the same habit of the same shops. And they'd obviously seen the meat inventory going down quicker than the money that was coming in. And I couldn't understand how a six-foot-three guy with a posh accent and a dirty shirt he'd been wearing for two months and a man with a spiderweb tattoo across half his face kept getting spotted by security. <laughs> and we started to do other things and running around the West End and we were just sort of taking, clipping tourists into the strip bars in Soho and all the rest of it. But this one particular night we'd met up and I said, Delroy, I've got nowhere to go, man. I've got nowhere to crash. This is really hideous. What do I do? Oh, don't worry, man. I've got a place. He sounded a bit like Keith Richards after about 10 minutes. Don't worry, I've got a bit of a place to go. Don't worry, I can do it in place. And we ran around, we ran around, and I was getting tireder and tireder, and I thought, oh, God, come on, I just want to crash, I just want to get loaded, I just want to die, I, just want, I don't care, just take me home. And he said, no, no, and I thought, sod this, I'm going to ring my mother. <laughs> As you do in a crisis. And I rang, and she lived 400 miles away. And I did what, you know, I said, hi, Mum, how would it be if I came home for a few days? And uh, to be fair, this story only really works if you understand my mother, a, a woman who brushes her hair to answer the telephone. And I rang up. Hello, dear, how are you? I said, hi, Mum, how would it be if I came home for a few days? Oh, no, dear, our insurance wouldn't cover that. And put the phone down. My ex... 
my ex-wife had spread the word. He'd gone mad. He's gone tonto. He's on drugs. He's this, that, and the other. He's sold the car. He's living rough. And I was this feral guy, frightened, and Delroy took me home. And Delroy took me home to a little place just off Dean Street, really bijou. He took me home to a skip. <laughs> you are talking to, a, or listening to a man who lived in a skip. And I do like to tell everyone, it was a convertible skip. It had a rag top. And uh, with my skip mate, Delroy, and we had furniture. We had uh, half a chair and a broken loo, which we used as a chair. Not as a loo, I might add. <laughs> oh, God. And... I decided the only way out of this was we had to upscale. We had to upgrade. This was a loser's pitch, living in a skip in the West End, trying to nurse a drug habit, pilfering meat out of shops. Budget. So budget. I have a private education. <laughs> Let's put this to work. I'm an educated man. Delroy, I said, yeah. I said, Delroy, we need to upscale. We need to cut out the middleman. We, this meat shit, it's got to stop. We're going to rob a bank. I'd seen the Sweeney. I've seen the movies. How difficult could it be? We started planning. I picked the bank. I knew where we were going to go. I knew what we were going to do. We weren't going to do anything sophisticated. You're bearing in mind my training for this had been lifting things off a shelf in Sainsbury's. Um, we were just going to sweep in, cause a bit of fuss, use a couple of bananas um, in bags. <laughs> By the time we got our shit together, it was Sunday morning. And uh, the particular bank I had chosen wasn't open on a Sunday morning, pretty much like every other bank I can think of. Um, you know, it wasn't a great start. Not to be deterred, I thought, oh, God. We hung around and we moffed about and we got a bit edgy. And I saw this Portuguese cleaning crew going in to sort out the bank and clean it. I thought, that's it. So I said, Delroy, we're going to pretend to be part of this cleaning crew. And we, uh, of course, my accent uh, didn't help, and uh, my height didn't help. Um, I didn't blend very well. <laughs> Delroy was doing all right if he just kept one side of his face hidden. Uh, I wasn't, they weren't buying it. And it all went off, and the police got called. We started doing a runner. It all went crazy mad, you can imagine. And a Bob the Builder Have a Go hero parked his van on my feet. I was going nowhere. Nicked. The shame, the utter terror, the fear. Oh, God. The police thought it was great. They cleared up the whole of the meat wars of south-east London. <laughs> and they took me off to uh, Wandsworth, Wano, as I learnt it was called. And um, I wasn't, uh, as I said, I had problems blending in. And I remember this screw, sorry, this prison warden, Gov, um, <laughs> saying to me, I'll have it, you're the black sheep in your family. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> but I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk. This guy had parked his van on my feet. My feet swelled up. I had legs like kebab leg disease going on. They thought I had problems, and they had to take me to a hospital. That's what they had to do. Now, to take me to that hospital, this is how society thought I should be dealt with. They got not handcuffs. I'm talking Victorian steel shackles and locked my wrists like that together. They then got another set on that arm and fixed me physically to a meet another governor and then on that arm another. So I'm now physically manacled between two guards. I mean, my toes are crushed, my legs are the size of elephants. Where the hell did they think I was going to run? But they then put me on a, a leather belt with, on a 20-foot steel chain. I looked like Hannibal Lecter on a day out. Like this. 
I had to go to the hospital, ridiculous, no discreet in, up the back door, no, no, there's a revolving door, it was Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, there's a huge automatic revolving door and we could shuffle in, the three of us, <laughs> and it was a bit, you know, it was, you know. But the guy on the chain, now that was a problem, because he couldn't get himself and the chain through the gap in time, so the doors kept locking, they had to get the janitor, there's a crowd by now, it's all gone wrong. By the time we get in, and I'm pulling, you know, cracking jokes and just being stupid, I can't see what's happened with my life. And I go up and I have this ultrasound on my legs to check that I'm not dying of whatever. And as I come back down, in the distance, there's a long corridor, there is a cousin of my second ex-wife, Pending, who's at a little table doing a sort of Friends of the Hospital bookstall. And I'm quite tall. You'll have spotted that, even at the back, I imagine. And she just sort of saw me in the distance through the crowd and went, Oh, you <laughs> Oh, God! The look on her face as I walked past. She fainted. She had to be helped as I was chunk, chunk, chunk. But that was the moment when I realised I had to face up to a few things and I had to make a few changes in life. And I'm very happy to say I made them. I'm a free man tonight. Thank you for listening. For more stories or to take part in next month's show, head to sparklondon.com. Spark London is produced by Joanna Yates. Audio production by Matt Hill at rethinkdaily.co.uk. 